respect the spirit and intent of the treaties and treaty making and remain committed to working on the partnership with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people in the spirit of truth, reconciliation, and collaboration. And so with all of that, I want to say good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to all those listening. Welcome to Web3 Warriors, our third LinkedIn audio panel and episode 80 featuring TP and Zale, two amazing indigenous artists who have done some amazing work on the blockchain as well as in their own professional careers, both in the advocacy space, sustainability space, and really just raising up uh, kind of the cultural identity of uh, indigenous people in Canada. Uh, so welcome, Zale. Welcome, TP. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. How about you, TP? Oh, I'm good. Um... I'm trying to fight, like I talked to you a few days ago, David, and you know that I was battling some sort of the pre-illness stage. I think everybody that I talk to is either recovering or in the midst of or kind of worrying about a flu bug. So heads up to everybody. But yeah, uh, and I just did a whole bunch of, I've got the cinnamon turmeric tea going. Nice. <laughs> no wiki. Dan might know what wiki is, but no. Yeah, wiki. <laughs> some powerful stuff, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, awesome. Well, I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better, TP. I have been fighting my own little thing as well, but I think I'm good. I'm 100% ready for an awesome conversation, maybe even learn some things, have a good conversation about the, the culture and what we can do here in the space. Um, so welcome, everyone, again to Web3 Warriors. I'm your host, David Karoma. I go by Chrome in the Metaverse. We've been looking to host these spaces on LinkedIn as panel conversations uh, on a monthly basis. This is our third one now, and really just trying to reach out to a new audience, kind of, Obviously, on LinkedIn, a little bit different audience, but also just want to have the conversation um, from a more kind of broad perspective and hearing more voices, uh, whereas our usual weekly kind of podcast is a more one-on-one -on -one kind of in-depth look uh, with specific creators. But here we're looking at topics um, on, in LinkedIn. And of course, we are on the eve of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. And uh, with it being that, I thought it would be very fitting to kind of have a conversation around reconciliation. And um, full disclosure, we actually initially uh, were going to have the conversation around reconciliation on the block blockchain, but TP had mentioned that maybe that's, um, you know, giving the wrong impression and we should be able to actually have a conversation around what is reconciliation first and can it happen on the, on the blockchain? Can the blockchain be used to help push it forward, which I thought was a very important point um, and also a good opportunity to educate around, you know, what is the real goal of reconciliation? What are we trying to do? What is, you know, truth and reconciliation as a broad kind of category? And I think it makes sense to try to listen to indigenous perspectives on like, how can we actually achieve this, you know? And is this even still a divisive issue or do we actually have consensus to move forward and, you know, work on reconciliation in a genuine way. So a lot of important kind of uh, heavy conversation to talk about here. And it is something that uh, we as a country, I think, continue to reckon with and continue to try to learn from and do better, you know, as we move forward. So I really look forward to hearing from TP and Zale about their thoughts on that big question. Um, and of course, this is the Web3 Warriors. So we will be looking at how that ties in with the technology, you know, on the Web3 side. Of course, we often take the angle of kind of the artistic and the creator economy side of things, but there's also the economic and financial sovereignty piece of it, you know, and maybe 
blockchain can play a role in ensuring a more real sovereignty for indigenous communities as opposed to maybe relying on some of the traditional banking infrastructure or traditional financial infrastructure. So there's these two kind of major, I would say, parallel tracks, one on the creator economy and one on the real financial crypto blockchain currency opportunity there. So that's just my thoughts on it, but definitely looking forward again to hearing from Zale and from Tifi. Uh, so without any further ado, maybe we will go with a brief introduction first before we really dive into, you know, what is reconciliation? Tifi, I would like to start with you just to kind of brief background on what you're doing in Web3, as well as just generally, you know, how you approach your indigenous culture and how you'd like to kind of uh, have this conversation today. But thank you for joining and uh, please share a brief introduction of yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I'm Clarina, um, and I came into the Web3 space in 2021, actually through uh, Clubhouse by the invitation of my daughter, who's in the audience, Sage. Um, and so... Uh, I came in and I was really interested in looking at ESGs um, and so trying to figure out what that meant as far as being kind of uh, responsible with our investments, um, understanding activism. Um, and so as uh, somebody that went through uh, post-secondary education in environmental science, uh, put through, uh, it was a, a program that was put through the University of Manitoba and the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, I believe. It was an international, oh, it was a national program, um, which incorporated Western science, indigenous, uh, through uh, indigenous paradigms. So there was two professors, one who was a Western professor and one who was an indigenous professor and an elder for every single course that would normally be one professor in University of Manitoba. So that was a, a program that I went through. Um, and so really taking a lot to heart as far as how we interact with uh, our environment um, through traditional knowledge. Um, that's a whole, that entirely is, <laughs> is a lot to unpack. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But, um, and then the other aspect is somebody that uh, I identify as somebody who's been uh, very creative. Uh, very art inspired, um, and in fact, had set up a physical uh, store co op, um, which um, it ended up closing. Um, I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, understanding. I've talked to you about this, David, but I'm like, businesses, maybe I, I need some help with finances and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that was a challenge for me. But the whole goal of that was it was to inspire some of the um, the cultural arts. Um, and there are some biases that we see, obviously, when we look at Western science, there's data, there's data biases there in, in uh, measuring impact, um, understanding and validating different art paradigms uh, through cultures around the world and indigenous paradigms is really important to me. Um, and so I came into Web3 really wanting to change that. And I've worked really hard to be an international advocate uh, of multilingual, multimedia, um, artworks, um, and also to kind of understand how what activism means and how we build. Um, and Web3 seems to be a place for me to really find a lot of uh, alignment with those basic principles. So I hope that's a good enough interview uh, introduction for now. Definitely. It's great. Thank you, TP. I'll turn it over to you, Zale. Hi. So I guess, um, I guess being Indigenous and um, being in the tech world, it kind of has its challenges and kind of being in the professional 
kind of uh, world as well. So when I introduce myself um, to people in real life, I usually say, well, I could say that I come from three different worlds. I could say I come from like a gaming world. I come from, you know, t- the traditional world where my parents are always like doing sweat lodges and, you know, going to sun dances and doing ceremonies. And then the, the third world is, you know, academics, you know, being really serious about, you know, trying, you know, getting education kind of goes back to my grandfather. He was, um, he kind of advocated for um, us to go to school. So uh, academics has always been kind of a part of my life. I've always been kind of going to school always since, since 2007. Um, I've been going to university of Manitoba, taking courses here and there throughout, throughout the years. Um, there was a time where I worked with um, residential school survivors on the tech side. I was able to see a lot of um, the, the the people that were coming in for counseling and people that were um, needing help um, from from you know certain communities and stuff. And so I kind of have a knowledge of of residential school, um, the intergenerational effects. You know, my my father being a survivor. Um, me being, I guess you could say, I'm, I'm intergeneration, intergenerationally affected by residential school. Um, I, w- whatever that means um, to you, you know, take it as as it is. But I always think it has something to do with uh, trauma and you know having to function in both you know the traditional world and you know the world that has come um, as a result of you know, our, our, you know, brothers from Europe coming, you know, um, first settling on this land, you know, and the impacts of that. So um, that's kind of where I kind of talk in, in that, that regard. I have an understanding of community. Um, and when it comes to, I guess, like blockchain, um, I've, I've been aware of blockchain for a long time. And I was kind of excited to kind of start talking about it recently because decentralization actually has a lot to do um with decolonization and i guess I'll, I'll get into that later but for now you know i'll just introduce myself you know I, uh in person i go by dan Ryder, but on the metaverse i go by zale and um been mostly a gamer my identity most of this time so hopefully that's a good enough um intro for now thank you that's an amazing intro dan thank you or zale from one gamer to another, you know, I met you as Zale before I knew your real name. So <laughs> we're going to go with that. Um, but maybe I should just take a step back and do a, just a brief background for it because it is a global show. We do have a global audience and you never know. Some people are not as um, aware of kind of the political and colonial history in Canada and um, how we came to this topic of truth and reconciliation um, as an area of focus, as something that um, the recent government. I believe was the first government to really kind of implement this as a national day. Um, and it wasn't out of nowhere. So going back to 2015, there was actually a truth and reconciliation committee report that came out that looked at the, um, impacts of the, uh, colonial practices essentially, which are far ranging, but specifically on residential schools, especially, um, the idea that back, you know, in the, 1800s, late 1800s, all the way through till I believe the 1980s. I, I, you can correct me, Karina, if I'm wrong, but I might even be early 90s. 
sadly, um, the government had justified essentially taking children from First Nations communities, indigenous communities, and forcing them to attend government-sanctioned schools, often run by the church, with the goal, essentially, as explicitly stated, to take the Indian out of the children, which is horrible. Um, and so essentially, it was, from my perspective, cultural genocide and an attempt to wipe away a culture's history. Um, and it did, of course, lead to all kinds of horrible abuse, um, all kinds of really awful things that happen at these schools, including the deaths of children, far too many. Um, and we continue to find graves as well. So going back um, about three years now, two years, maybe um, we had started to kind of unearth graves of mass grave sites, unfortunately, of uh, children at the sites of some of these residential schools. So after that, you know, there was much more focus um, on the need for healing and the need for something. And then that's where the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation kind of came out. So I think we're on our third now, I believe, uh, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And so that's just a little bit of background, way too brief, obviously, uh, a lot of different angles to talk about, and there's a lot to it. Uh, but all this to say, we are finally, as a country, A, acknowledging how horrible the residential school system was and had and how the effects of it basically continue to ripple into today, right? Um, and so the conversation is around reconciliation um, to heal, essentially, more than anything else, right? It's really about trying to uh, ensure that we as a society can actually move forward and, um, again, reconcile our differences and be able to speak and to each other. And really, like the definition in the dictionary is essentially being able to actually have friendly relations with each other. <laughs> and so with that um, brief background, I do want to turn it over to TP first, because I think she raised this important point when I was first looking at it, like, let's just talk about how the blockchain can help with reconciliation. Um, and then she raised, you know, like, we have to agree on what reconciliation is first before we can even push things forward. So let's start with that heavy kind of definition, um, necessary conversation. TP, uh, I just want to know, like, how do you view reconciliation and what does reconciliation mean to you? If you want to share that uh, to get us started here. Um, it's it's multifaceted for sure. Um, first off, it was recognized that through the UN that um, there was uh, attempts at cultural genocide and it was acknowledged through the Truth and Reconciliation Report in the final report, which is one of the reasons why uh, March 2023 20, was the first time that uh, the um, Truth and Reconciliation Day was acknowledged as a statutory holiday. Um, so this is, not, this is not news. I mean, this is not a new issue for us. This is an ongoing issue to speak about when, when we talk about reconciliation, um, I've heard it said through many of my peers that are indigenous self identifying indigenous or allies that support, um, the, the, the healing. And I, this is an important, this is really important to me. The healing of the indigenous community comes first. Um, and so you can't reconcile something that has a, you know, we look at what what we're surviving, what what impacts were what kind of healing in this healing journey, identifying key areas that have have uh, major impacts to the communities. Um, there's still a long journey ahead. Um, there's still people that still say get over it. 
Um, there's still people that don't that are undereducated. And there's a lot of pushback from Indigenous communities to say, why is it our job to educate you? Um, and I think that's a big issue. Um, it does take a toll. And I'll give an example of that. Um, yesterday, in the blockchain, I was doing a piece of work, uh, and it was about the MMIW, um, and um, it was a piece that was for the red dress. I created it for May 5th red dress this year, um, and my twin sister is at MMIW, um, and it's really important to me and my daughter's down there. That's a trauma. That That's her aunt, and she had to deal with that as a family. My mom is down there, and that, oh, God, I'm going to cry. Hang on. Yeah, I'm sorry, TP. Please share what you're comfortable with. And uh, I really appreciate you bringing these teachings um, and histories. These are real impact that, you know, people continue to live with, right? And so this is why we have to have this conversation. So, yeah, um, but please, you know, okay. <laughs> don't feel any pressure. Don't That's feel hard. any pressure to overshare, please. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't feel pressure. I think it's important to say the things that you need to say. I, I have always said that you can't possibly experience, um, I mean, does somebody else have to experience this loss to have empathy? I don't think so. So it's important to share these things and also be able to do that in a calm, respectful manner. So yes, at the same in the same amount of breath, I'm a human being. So it's just really a bit raw for me because I did a piece yesterday, um, and it was really hard because you don't want to you want to be able to to speak about these things without, especially in the context of artwork and and, and things, without it being mistaken or misinterpreted as uh, you know leveraging trauma. Um, that's just not the case. I think it's absolutely essential to talk about the, the experiences of the healing that's required and still required uh, of our community. So uh, I think for me, what is reconciliation is when uh, we can speak about these experiences without being impacted by community that's just incredibly uh, insensitive to it. And I was speaking in a space today about sustainability uh, and somebody had brought it, uh, they decided to share that piece that I did. Uh, and it was uh, auctioned, it was put on auction to support in, uh, women in Web3. So I donated the piece. I wasn't gaining anything from it. Uh, they chose to bring it up. And in that context, there was people that were actually being really very rude and aggressive. <laughs> uh, and it just goes to, to show, like if somebody was in this room and they came up and they would say really aggressive things uh, about trauma and they you know there's just a, a lack of sensitivity and my point simply is that you know there there is healing that has to be done on both sides and so there there's there needs to be that open discussion and i think that's why we are at the truth and reconciliation uh day as a national just a beginning to start to understand the need for education so i that's just my quick summary on that i think we need to really identify some of the areas and i'm happy to do that after uh, dan responds Amazing. Thank you, TP. Uh, Zale, thoughts? I guess reconciliation for me has a lot to do with um, more of, uh, I guess, more of like people understanding uh, the culture and uh, taking an effort to understand um, the civilization and the, the, the origin of um, our indigenous people, you know, before you know, the, there was, you know, uh, European contact and, you know, the effects of uh, colonialism. Uh, colonialism. Um, and for me, um, there's always been a challenge um, entering um, certain workplaces simply because of uh, 
just being indigenous and you know it seems like it seems like it's it no matter where i go there's always some sort of um like attitude or some sort of behavior towards um towards me just because of like my appearance or or something like that or there's there's always some sort of um underestimation of like how intelligent can an indigenous person be so that's always been my issue when it comes to kind of uh, like functioning in society as as an indigenous uh, male um and when it comes to reconciliation i think more people have to understand that a lot of you know the modern world comes from indigenous teachings and that's i think that's what reconciliation basically should be about is 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 a, a level of understanding um a level of moving forward and above all i think a level a level of of being able to work together and um i'm trying to speak really strong here because um you know obviously there's a lot of uh trauma with with you know colonialism and and why there's even reconciliation and you know i'm really trying to hold my breath here i'm trying to hold back those tears because you know it, it's a part of that warrior kind of personality you have to have um when you become a support kind of person and and that's kind of what I've, the role i've been playing in the community for the past decade is you know behind the scenes behind you know the gaming behind you know the tech is is working with with youth and 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 you know the reconciliation should be for them you know so that they could they could have a world that they could be free in that's what reconciliation is i think to me is the future and i hope hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of um you know how of how i how i feel about that 1000% appreciate you sharing a genuine response uh, and tp I, I was looking at uh, your image on the twitter here that shared a very profound piece uh, i don't want to mispronounce it so i think it's in cree uh, but you what's really interesting on the blockchain as well right so not only is the amazing artwork that is the red dress over a scenic i don't know if that's a manitoba lake or definitely looks like canadian lake for sure and just like really profound and you got the indigenous music in there and it's just really amazing uh, we're going to leave a link for it on the uh, description of the podcast as well so that others can see it um it went and sold for 256 tezos so congratulations on that because you do not see that many um tezos sales up in that range of, of amount so very impressive and i saw someone on twitter commenting on how great it is to see that a piece like that would go for 256 tez so definitely congrats uh so i wanted to highlight that and i know you were mentioning there's other angles to uh reconcile and how you view it so please uh continue to share and yeah thank you <laughs> yeah that's hard uh it's hard to be a creative um i always say you put your insides on your outside to be an artist and and to share stories and the way that you do it for me i love to do it with music and um different kinds of, of movements so it's a journey it's a it's a creative expression so it's wonderful when you know, people look at your artwork and say really powerful things. Like I've never, somebody said something like in that post about it being one of the most powerful things that they've, they've seen in web three. And I just thought that's amazing. Like that's a lot. So, um, my family down there would know that piece. It's the one with the red dress, uh, and it's over the lake. Um, so that's, yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. Um, it's a journey, uh, 
for me, the MMIW is part of the, uh, which is Missing Murdered Indigenous Women, uh, Women, Girls, Two-Spirit. Um, that is part, the way that I looked at the Truth and Reconciliation was four key areas. Uh, there was residential schools uh, and survivors and uh, uh, multi-generational survivors. Um, and then there was the MMIW, which is uh, Missing Murder Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. Uh, there was also a 60s scoop, um, and that's relevant to me. I was on the class action suit uh, against the government of Canada as an eligible recipient, um, so I spoke on that. Um, and uh, so that's relevant to me. Uh, and so, you know, you can speak about these things without it being, without it being, um, like not everything when, when I talk about uh, the truth and reconciliation is specifically about trauma. Uh, for every amount of trauma, there's, you know, the celebration of identity. And I think, uh, I think we have to push through some of that. We have to find our balance. We have to find our, that's to me is what the reconciliation aspect is as well. Like we, I talked about the healing aspect. It's also to honor ourselves and under uh, honor our allies. So I think it's really important as creatives how we do that um, quite often. And it's kind of interesting <laughs> that I'm in Web3 and I speak about, you know, it, for anybody who doesn't really know much about Web3, it's all about tokens. And so to be an Indigenous person, is a, <laughs> it's funny uh, to be selling tokens and trying not to be treated as a token. <laughs> so... Uh, maybe people don't get my sense of humor. Anyway, no, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing over here. I got you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's a challenge, and I find that quite often that I'm a, I'm your token Indian, quite literally. And there's a few women uh, that are actually there's one gal who's another indigenous person in Web three, and um, she's uh, from I don't know. She's further south, United States, but her handle is Token Indian. <laughs> So it's pretty common. Uh, quite often, there's a lot of conversations about sustainability, and I see it, and I've, uh, I've seen that quite often in the conversations as well, where um, the Indigenous aspect of uh, our representation of sustainability and some generation teachings, for instance, is utilized to create validity and and um, uh, to, you know, create some sort of sense of uh, intent, good intentions uh, by uh, tokenizing our representation of our of our cultures, so it's very interesting. I see it quite often. At the same time, I try to be you know very optimistic about it, um, and it does take patience to 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 speak on these things. You know, it takes patience to to have other people not be responsive to the negativity of people. You know, it, it, it we take it on the chin, and you know, as Zale said, Dan said. Uh, about the warrior spirit is that means that we do have to take these things on the on the chin. It's really hard um, to represent the best things we can, and we're all fallible, right? So, how do we do that with good intentions and still um, and still represent ourselves in a good way in our community? And I keep having to say that um, I had a TP Tuesdays the other uh, for the first time in probably about six months, which is exploring uh, multicultural. Um, Indigenous communities around the world. And in that, there's a lot of people that come in that are still really, really hurting. And you can see that there's a need for emotional uh, maturing. Um, so yeah, it is a, it's going to, it's a long road, I think, but I think it's a necessary road for us all.
Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, you had mentioned allies and, you know, being non-Indigenous myself of multicultural background. And, um, you know, I'm also a little bit of a political junkie, but I've always said it's really the social issues I, re- I saw around Indigenous people, um, you know, growing up, frankly, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and just the way others have talked about them and being racialized, quote unquote, I'm not a big fan of that word, but, um, <laughs> you know, myself and having my own experiences, it always just kind of struck me. Um, yeah, everything both of you have just mentioned is, you know, really unfortunate. Um, and so looking at, you know, that conversation around allyship and around other point, you talked about how like still bringing up the red dress, bringing up missing and murdered indigenous women, bringing up the residential schools, unfortunately can often be met with either complete dismissal. So like just lack of care lack of empathy, or worse, you know, actually defending the actions of the colonial government. And so, you know, I think at what point can reconciliation start without having the actual full consensus and understanding of society? Um, Because unfortunately, and I, you know, maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but my understanding and my perspective of this is that there's always going to be kind of a small segment of the population that is just not going to get it for whatever reason. Um, You know, maybe it's religious, maybe it's some other version of indoctrination, but there's a lot of people out there who lack empathy and lack the desire to actually learn from history and to try to make things better going into the future. So I guess my question is, you know, do we need consensus and, you know, how do we move things forward on an education basis um, without the consensus, you know, and the understanding, you know, among a broad swath of society that this is what we're working on and this is how we're going to kind of push society forward you know like i i guess what do you think tp like how, how do you think we approach this because i just feel it's easy to get frustrated it's easy to get discouraged right and we can say this about a myriad of different social issues but specifically on this one i really feel like there should be no partisanship there should be no you know uh, opposition to really trying to heal the obvious wounds, right, of the past. So I don't know. What do you think about that topic of consensus? And really, like you said, like we have to agree to reconcile first before we can actually reconcile, right? Well, I think that it's an individual responsibility. It's a mental health issue. Um, I think we have a responsibility and accountability to uh, ourselves and our peers to do the best we can to represent ourselves well. And I think um, you can't drag somebody to the sweat lodge if they don't want to go. The sweat lodge being our healing place, uh, which is like, you know, it's, and I don't mean literally our, you, you, you know, you have to come to the sweat lodge. I mean, people can educate themselves. Again, to my point about, is, is it my responsibility to educate other people? Um, all I can do is humanize it and put in context the experience, right? So, it's not my job to educate. There are people that that undertake that in their in their roles as an ally, um, and I think it's important. Number one, and I've said this because I do, you know, my experience of wanting to be a creative and working in film is being an advocate of telling our own stories, uh, wanting to write and you know paint and and everything that I want to do. It's it, how do we do that in a creative way? And sometimes it means that people actually just have to tune in. They have to tune in and understand. Uh, what we're saying and how we're saying it. And sometimes we're saying it with humor and tongue in cheek because <laughs> that's, first of all, it's a very OG Cree thing to, to <laughs> it's, it's a very OG Cree thing to just laugh at everything. Uh, you know, if you, if I talk to anybody in, in St. Truth of Point, for instance, it's just everybody starts laughing right off. And I, it's something that I picked up. Uh, it's quite, 
quite, uh, it, it does, you know, sometimes it could be taken as like somebody's laughing at you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not that. It's a cultural thing. <laughs> so what can you do about that? It's like, we have to give each other leeway um, to be who we are. And as much as I want people to understand who I am, do I put the best foot forward to understand who they are? You know, uh, I've often talked about with, I would never want somebody to feel the way that I felt. And I think that's an important lesson when we talk about international communities. So for me, people have, you know, will tag me in things that are indigenous. And I'm like, no, first off, I'm going to push back against that, you know, being a vegan, being a punk rock, being, uh, you know, somebody's not going to run around with a feather headdress on ever. It's never going to happen. I'm not your stereotype. Um, and I want to be a contemporary voice in a contemporary society where people are putting, you know, as much effort into learning about others as they do about themselves. And I think it has to come even from the inside first. So that means being able to talk about the traumas in a way where you, so one of my experiences is cognitive, you know, going through cognitive therapy about that, um, and understanding the need for, uh, you know, what, there's a phrase called a mnemonic recoding, which is retraining your brain in your default mode network. Sorry, I'm going to lose everybody here. But I actually spent a lot of time in my neurodivergence trying to figure out how do I heal myself? <laughs> and it's working, I think. I think by the time I'm 80 and I'm an elder, I should be able to tell people how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're good. You, you're coming through loud and clear and amazing, uh, amazing points. Dan, uh, same question to you. You know, is the topic still too divisive? Um, do we need consensus or like TP saying, you know, kind of eat, to each their own? We, you know, just keep educating, keep pushing. Um, but it's not, you know, the job of indigenous people for sure. Um, and maybe certain allies will take it on as, a, as an initiative that they want to help spread education and awareness for. But um, how do you see that that kind of struggle to continue pushing reconciliation forward and actually create real reconciliation while, you know, obviously having to deal with some of the less um, understanding or empathetic voices out there. Um, so when it comes to like consensus of, of um, I guess like, like other people, um, I think there just has to be an acceptance that, that, that we're the original people on this land and that no matter how much, difficulties we go through we're still going to be here and i think that's what i think the consensus should be is that we're always going to be here and there's always going to be a treaty and that's that's a, that's a peace treaty that's peace between people so that we could work together and yeah i do believe in consensus i believe a consensus of, of all nations that one day you know that all people are going to work together you know for the betterment of humanity and that goes to that crazy horse teaching you know the lakota people where he talks about all all people are going to be under one tree he's talking about the sundance you know and that's a, that's important that's that's a consensus teaching right there that we all need to go to this understanding this circle of life this mother earth and think about th those kind of things and and yeah there is a lot of tokenism you know I'll straight you know straight out like tokenism you know, it's something that's always been there. Like, oh, you're an indigenous person. You know, can you tell my fortune or can you look in the future for me? Those kind of things. Could you heal me? Could you, you know, take medicine off of me? Or does evil medicine work? Or do you have love medicine so I get this girl to like me? There's all kinds of tokenism ideas out there. And sometimes the, the, I guess the main idea is to be like, well, in order to get those kind of things, you have to 
you have to put in effort. Like, like the teaching is you got to, you have to say your prayer, but you have to actually go and act on what you said, you know, to have that, you know, that kind of thought pattern forward. And that's the kind of consensus that people need to kind of agree on. And, and when it comes to blockchain, um, you know, the technology keeps, in, you know, improving, especially with Ethereum, um, you know, reducing its energy consumption, you know, that that actually churned a lot of people to the idea of blockchain. Like, oh, a blockchain is actually a good idea because Ethereum was able to reduce the power consumption with proof of stake. And when you really think about that, that, that you know, that it's just going to keep getting better as time goes on because blockchain's only been around for about 15 or 14 years so far. And, and we got to think about the utility, you know, like the treaty should be on the blockchain, you know, Th- those kind of things, changes to the treaty should be on the blockchain. So we know when these, these changes happen, the signatures of people should be on these things with these decisions. And that's kind of the idea I was kind of getting into, um, you know, centralization has to do with the Indian agent on the, in the reserve. You know, we had to go to him, you know, to get, you know, a pass to go into towns and cities, you know, that's the idea of centralization. And still that centralization is still there. You know, um, a lot of our people are isolated in communities. And just now, even thanks to blockchain, they're now getting access to the power of decentralization, you know? So that's kind of like the consensus of both kind of people, like indigenous communities need to understand that, that there is a way to decolonize through decentralized blockchains and there is a way to have power in, in your creativity. And if you look at the Inuit nation, they have their own artwork. And that artwork became Canada's national artwork. And I believe the Canadian government pumped you know, a lot of money into that back in the 50s. So imagine if that was all on the blockchain. Imagine if we knew the, art, the artists of these, of these uh, carvings, these wonderful drawings, these, these mythologies we have no idea about yet. You know, blockchain could actually make it so that we're getting the right teachings and not just some some kind of teaching that came out of the concept of tokenism. Um, so yeah, there is a need for everyone to kind of come to consensus and kind of you know agree to that. There is there is utility in the blockchain. There's also value, but that value comes from the utility, and that's decentralization. Uh, hopefully, that kind of answers the question. Yeah, that was awesome. You also segued us into the tech conversation. So that's perfect. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from on that centralization, you know, being really an oppressive tactic (laughs) when put in that perspective, right? And the idea that entire communities were told they had to go to this office to get approval to do anything, you know, and you needed to have this specific ID, you know, to be able to be you know, qualify for certain benefits and this and that. Um, that's definitely part of uh, centralization. And I think even looking at modern day and the way that the current kind of payment system works, right, and the way that indigenous uh, funding for different communities and things are working, you know, it's still very much held in the antiquated traditional um colonial if you will power structure right and as you just mentioned with blockchain with the technology um, there's an opportunity to really empower entire communities through the blockchain and less reliant with less reliance on the traditional systems that frankly you know pilfer money right like they're still carving out money on the margins and making money off of uh, payments that are supposed to go to communities, right? So great point and great segue. Um, So with that, I do want to look at both of your um, NFT world. So 
uh, Dan, Zale, you've got your Peyote Records, uh, some NFTs on the blockchain, on the Ethereum blockchain there that we can talk about. And TP, you know, uh, along with me, you know, back in early 20, 2021, um, started the, the NFT experience. I think she mentioned in a prior uh, meeting where that her first NFTs were actually on wax. I've never made an NFT on wax, and I think I might have one or two, actually. Um, but very interesting. And I think you've mentioned, TP, that you're on like 12 different blockchains or something. Um, so with that, uh, first question, you know, how can we use blockchain to advance reconciliation? And specifically, you know, what are you doing to, um, you know, play your part? And we'll start with uh, TP, and then we'll turn it over to Zale. Okie dokie. Um, okay, first off, I think for the benefit of um, our audience, I would like to just kind of differentiate what blockchain means to me. Uh, I am somebody that onboards people. So I like to keep, I don't, as, as in the way of many of our Indigenous teachings, we don't speak above uh, others. So I wanted to address what is blockchain technology first off and what I, how I see it and would describe it to somebody who knows very little about it. Most people are on the internet. Um, and you are making uh, digital footprints. So if you had a way to get acknowledgement and or sell those digital footprints, uh, you know, you you can. <laughs> uh, so the idea of having a digital footprint for me and putting very in, specific intent would be, uh, you know, creating an NFT. So that footprint, you can decide how you want to sell it. You could say, oh, I want to sell it. Oh, some people are using that for clout, you know, to get leverage on um, any kind of project they're on. Some people are leveraging that because they, you know, have partnerships with social media, for instance. Um, some people are maybe, say, even in LinkedIn here where they're using their connections. Um, so there's a lot of different ways we have a digital footprint that we're leaving. Um, and there's different ways that we can market that. Uh, with Web3 and blockchain technology, basically, you're creating a record uh, that is your record. You're the one who's in charge of it. So imagine that for every single time you've posted something, it's yours. Uh, anytime that you use social media, for instance, anytime you've put anything on the uh, on the internet, um, it's all there. And so doing that with intent uh, allows you to be somebody that's socially conscious, I think, because you're starting to be accountable to those. Imagine those conversations where we've all said, oh, you know, when you put it on the internet, it's there forever. Well, it is, but you actually have ownership. <laughs> so I would say that's what I see uh, blockchain technology allows us to do. So it allows you ownership over your digital your digital footprints. Um, and I think that's really important. The next stage of that is when we talk about blockchain, there's a lot of different blockchains. Um, you know, if we just simplify it, let's keep it very simple. Fiat, your dollar, USD, Canadian dollar, euro, those are all kind of blockchains. Uh, there are systems. There are systems that, that we're using to, uh, to give value. I mean, I'll give another perfect example. This is back to the reconciliation and understanding tokens and understanding uh, value and barter. Um, I just had a piece, and it looks like they're going to be dropping that one right away, uh, probably as I speak right now. And it has to do with um, they had some bay blanket. Um, and so the made beaver was a token and it was a way of bartering, uh, and trade. Uh, let's, I'm not going to get into the breakdown of that because there's a lot of learning and I'm just starting to educate people on what that meant for, for us, as far as the indigenous folks up here, there's a lot to unpack there. My way of doing that is to just put, start using 
some of the the examples of that, the Maid Beaver and the Hudson Bay Blanket in my artwork. And it's going to open up the doorway for discussions about that. Um, but that's an example. Okay, so that the Maid Beaver was a token. You could get sugar and flour and different things, uh, different ammunitions and different things uh, from Indigenous communities with the settlers here. Um, so that's another example. So those are all like trade uh, uh, handshakes that we have. Um, and so when we start utilizing our uh, internet and our, our, our technology, it, it's just evolving. It's just another step uh, in the evolution of how we're handling things. Digital currency is something that is part of the future. It's forecast in the future. It's already being utilized. It's just whether or not you want to have control over those mechanisms yourself um, and or participate in the building of how that would look. So under, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to just keep it simple there. So David mentioned wax. That's uh, for me, that accountability to my teachings uh, was really important. Understanding ESGs and impact, understanding uh, the, 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 you know, you wouldn't run your car, for instance. You're not going to run your car outside for hours just because you want to stay cool or hot or whatever, right? So you want to be conscious of your ecological footprint. So you can be uh, environmentally conscious of your uh, digital footprint as much as you could be as your ecological footprint in your home. Uh, you know, what is your ecological footprint, what you're doing with your home. So all of that can be managed in tech. And it's been an important journey for me. I was a volunteer with Girls Who Code teaching tech. Uh, to younger women. I was also part of Mother Earth Recycling and really wanting to work with e-waste. And uh, to the bane of my existence, I have ridiculous amounts of e-waste in my house because it's just amazing. <laughs> I love it. I create art with e-waste. Uh, I was in uh, Times Square as a featured headliner on a piece of, uh, with a piece of art that I created on Windows uh, Photoshop 7. Uh, on a piece of uh, computer equipment that I found in the snow and and refurbished. So uh, we can do a lot, you know, and we can use our voice uh, and we can we can make some changes. So that was the goal of why I literally came into Web3, wanting to be an insider activist in uh, ESGs and then decided that I really needed to learn. But not only that, be part of the process of voting and changing. So you can do that. You can be part of that that process of changing from the inside out. So a lot of that again is is self education and or aligning with 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 people that will take the time to speak with you um, and and um, onboard you and I think that's that, hopefully that's good enough. I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> when it comes to like um, like creativity, like it's very important that people understand like what ownership is. And um, the blockchain just gives, like, it just it just automatically gives you ownership of whatever you put on there, and that's I guess that's like the main the main thing that people need to understand is that is that um, there is power that could be given to you beyond like what's like like the like what's your like what you're raised with in terms of like um, like fiat currency like like some people their ideas of mo money um, it's like very like limited i guess you can say so they don't really think of the abstract um idea behind money that um that you know money is like just a record like the actual bill is a record of something on a ledger somewhere and that ledger is run by a you know by a mint and you know the whole financial system is is relying on that one mint so you know i'm going to think people people realize that 
you know, the mint is not, you don't need the mint with blockchain. I think they don't realize that that, that, that gives you that individual power. So um, decentralization, again, again, I always going to say that it's going to lead to more, um, more healing. And I guess like how I, how I'm, how I could incorporate this into the conversation is um, I founded the website, purityrecords.com and the startup before that it was called NAC ceremonial melodies. And that was for, um, that was for the native American church. And it was because peyote songs, um, they're very, very, um, very catchy melodies. And they, there's a prayer behind those songs. So people compose these songs all the time, almost just like right after a ceremony, they'll compose like four or six songs. And it's just like, Holy smokes, man. Like that's a really good song. I want to sing that song. So then I guess when, in the nineties, um, when these record companies kind of showed up, um, they wanted to, you know, publish these guys. And, and I guess like what these, what the pioneers of POD music in the modern world didn't realize is that when they signed a contract with the record, it's like, they basically gave the ownership of these songs to those record companies and those record companies own those songs. And these guys are wondering like, like, okay, so like I'm, I'm, I'm famous. My, my songs are out there but there's no value I'm getting out of it. Like I'm still, I'm still in poverty and they didn't realize that that that's part of like, that's part of colonialism. That's part of, uh, of, um, you know, being reliant on centralization. And so, so that's was the idea behind it. And so I never used my personal identity with, when I interact with the blockchain, I always used go by a pseudonym, so when I did PeoriaRecords.com, it was actually the first time I interacted with like my real name, but I wanted indigenous people to know about it, to at least learn about it, to think about it, to start thinking about it, at least from my community, because the Native American church spans all throughout North America, like United States, all the way to Mexico, into Peru. So it's almost like you need to know Spanish as well as all these other languages. In order to be a peyote singer, you need to know what those songs mean. There's a there's a like main chant. That, that goes there, and then beyond that main chant, there's some words, there's prayers that are added to that. You need to know what those prayers mean, because those prayers have specific meanings and ceremonies. And and you know, someone could learn that song, and they might not even know it's a Cree song. They might not even know it's an Ojibwe song. They just they just know that it's indigenous, and they'll say, "Oh, that means the you know, Creator bless me." But meanwhile, it could be a funeral song, or you could be singing about something totally different, like a spirit, a doctoring spirit, come help me when it's really this guy's birthday. So you're calling in like a healing spirit in a doctoring ceremony. Those, those kind of things happen. You know, I actually ran a ceremony for my dad one time and somebody came there and sang a funeral song. I told them that in Lakota, that, that those words, that mean that means you're, that you're sending someone's spirit to the afterlife. And I, I don't know if you knew that I told them. And I, I, I had to tell them that in the ceremony. And it was kind of a tough thing because he didn't understand what he was doing. And if, if there was a record somewhere that this song means that, maybe he would have knew. Like those kind of things are, are common mistakes. But with a, with like blockchain, you know, somebody could publish their song almost instantaneously. And they could say, oh, that song, like a language speaker could say, that song means this. I learned this song at this ceremony. And then also, you know, when I talk about uh, the blockchain and NFTs, you know, it, it, you know, getting an album cover out there, 
is almost built right into blockchain because you're, you're getting that NFT out there. So that's why I found on that website, purityrecords.com. So these NFTs kind of become like, like album covers for these, you know, hundreds of thousands of songs that these elders are composing at their ceremonies. And, and also too, they, they also argue with each other too sometimes. Like, hey, I, I made that song. How can you put that on a CD? Um, you know, you know, they, they argue like that too. I'm the, I, you know, I'm the one who made that song. They start arguing like that. Oh, my uncle made that song. They start saying stuff like that. So at least with the blockchain, they say, hey, well, you know, actually Uncle Gerald made that song. I was there when he made it. I was at that ceremony. I remember they were praying for Auntie Florence that time. So th- those kind of things are important. At least with the blockchain, no one could go back and change that data and say, hey, you know, actually, uh, you know, actually Uncle Verdell made that song. Gerald didn't make that song with Uncle Verdell. Those, those, actually, those people's names is actually kind of like a token of famous peyote singers. I don't know if, if you know that, but um, if you research peyote music, there's actually hundreds of published songs that belong to different records. So peyoterecords.com, kind of a different approach, decentralizing the music so that you know someone can publish it almost instantaneously and they own it right away instead of you know some entity or some person who's trying to tokenize indigenous culture comes and says, hey, I'll publish those for you. I'll give you 10% of what I make off of it. You know, that's kind of like the whole idea behind it. So it's difficult to kind of under, it's difficult to explain that. Like, like there's more value behind it than just like monetary, like a monetary idea. Like there's more value behind it because you could prove something. You could prove that this happened at this point in time. Yeah, and that's, so, that's kind of like the idea I'm trying to get at. Hopefully that kind of. Certificate of authenticity uh, is one way of framing it or or a timestamp uh, of authenticity, right? Where it actually tells you the exact date and time that this person put this on the blockchain with a description as well. So you can give all of those um, informations around who created something. Great point, Dan. And I think uh, you're definitely onto something with Peyote Records. I noticed you got the Web3 Warriors plug on there too. I appreciate you. You know, we've been connected in this uh, space talking about some of these ideas um, for a little over a year now. So it's really cool and and really a good use case. And I need to put you in contact with uh, Hakeem Draper, uh, who has been doing a lot of work on the uh, Web3 and blockchain music side. He has a website called songsecure.com. And it's basically what you were just mentioning, really, about using the blockchain to in, uh, basically timestamp and certificate uh, or authorize kind of um IP and basically say like, I, this artist created, you know, this beat or I created this um, audio sample, whatever the case might be, you know, on this date. So if you ever find it anywhere else, they have the bona fide proof because they put it on the blockchain and it's already been uh, used in court and it's used. um, It actually has better, um, a better weight in court than just having the, uh, just having the, what do you call it? Copyright, you know, registration that you might pay a bunch for, but that actually has less weight than actually just showing proof of of creation and the date that you created it. So definitely a good good angle there. And I, I am going to put you in, in contact with uh, Hakeem because I think he'd love to hear about uh, kind of the indigenous perspective on that and what you were saying about the different, you know, chants and like spiritual music, essentially ceremonial music and how having some authenticity behind that could go a long way internally for your communities. I think that's really powerful and a really interesting kind of angle as well. TP, I, I know we got a little bit of peyote records then. So that's an awesome angle for your project, Dan. And we 
we can talk a little bit more about it. But TP, I also want to hear specifically about your projects because you kind of started with some photography and really amazing, beautiful Manitoba photography um, on the blockchain. And then you've also now kind of gone into this TP5, very cool, um, you know, cyberpunk tech meets indigenous culture. I'd love to hear just kind of how your NFTs, do you think they play a role in pushing reconciliation forward? Or what are what's kind of the cultural purpose behind them, if you want to share a little bit of that. And thank you. Oh, thank you for asking. Um, definitely. Okay, so as far as the photography, I call it land-based photography, because I like to take pictures of the land. Um, and I talk about, uh, you know, through this environmental science uh, program, understanding that we have, as Indigenous, we have a different perspective that other people may have like we our relationship to the land and the sky and the water is very very genetically tied to our identity and uh, our dreams quite literally um, and our oral traditions and ceremonies so um, sometimes I'm taking uh, it, shots of things and I really like natural light I'm trying to capture something very specifically that's that moment um, so that's maybe other people don't see it and it's okay I don't you know it's not it's not it's everybody has their own prerogative. So again, it's a gentle, it's a gentle way of saying this is, I want to show you something, come and sit with me. Right. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and uh, I've been utilizing uh, AI technology, which I call a series now it's called TP5. And TP5 is, uh, is my indigenous futurism, which there isn't a lot of in this space. And I don't even know. I just kind of was thinking about Afrofuturism and I started using uh, indigenous futurism on tags. Uh, and I've read more about it since in the last year. Somebody was asking me about it, indigenous futurism. And I was like, well, let's take a look. And I was reading one of the articles uh, somebody had written that was from an indigenous perspective. Uh, and the person said that we were surviving uh, uh, you know, these these near genocides and post-apocalyptic survival uh, indigenous communities are already surviving that. So my goal of like, again, the tongue-in-cheek humor that I have, uh, I use in my TP5s. So that is, uh, yeah, it's indigenous sci-fi. It's my take on sci-fi uh, and it's my healing journey. It brings me joy to do it um, and create uh, through the the appreciation breaking the stereotypes of indigenous folks and letting us be contemporary and futurist right putting our teepees in space and <laughs> by the way just for the purposes of anybody listening i didn't call myself tp i called myself nftp because i was thinking about the tp outside of my irl in real life uh artist co-op indigenous artist co-op here in manitoba uh and then friends that were korean had a harder time with the clarina and some of my international friends had a harder time so they just started calling me tp so <laughs> it's stuck i've been tp for three years now so i love it sometimes i forget <laughs> and i like when i call my mom and go hi it's tp i mean it's Karina. <laughs> So, yeah, the artwork is, is, I love it. It brings me total joy uh, to do some blending, but also like really take, uh, take stock of what's happening in the world. And I use blockchain technology also, say going back to my photography pieces, um, there was a piece uh, of a teepee in the woods that uh, was one of the first mints I did. And it was really t acknowledging on Canada Day in 2021 when our flags were at half mast. 
because of the recognition of the residential school and impact and the and the, and the discovery of of bodies behind the school residential schools. So I really wanted to put that date on the blockchain. Um, I also did when the Pope uh, apologized. I took quotes on that day. And I put uh, a teepee uh, film bit and, and it was so fascinating. There was like this kind of, it sounded like a cowbell in the background. It was so fitting, kind of like this recognition of the church and the impacts to, um, to communities and, and quoting the Pope uh, on that particular day. So it's interesting that we can use blockchain technology. And I keep saying, you know, we can use that for our dates. Again, that's that digital footprint. It's the same thing where, you know, we used to use, and I've said this before to other friends, but you use microfiche. And if you're going to say the Manitoba archives and you want to look up information, well, where is that information now? It's not accessible. There, I actually wanted to look up some piece, like look up some photography that would be fair use uh, within copyright uh, as far as the uh, Hudson Bay information and things like that. And I have no access to it. I have to go down there. So that's just really understanding what our technology allows us access to information um, and understanding, um, you know, access to education as well, access to culture. Um, I do want to put the caveat in there that through the teachings, the Medewin teachings uh, that I've been taught, that that there are sacred uh, there's sacred knowledge that we wouldn't put on the blockchain. Others would, again, I'm not the sacred police. <laughs> I've said that often in TP Tuesdays. I'm not the sacred police, nor am I the cultural appropriation police either. So don't report to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, again, we have autonomy and free will, so I have no idea what people get up to, the shenanigans that people get up to as far as, you know, even thinking about somebody saying, well, I put it on the blockchain, therefore it's mine. That's not necessarily true there you know <laughs> it can be uh, it, there's still a lot of regulations to look through and there's still a lot of international regulations happening and there's still a lot of impact to access to technology in sanctioned countries there's a lot of things to 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 break apart in this in this ecosystem so uh, i think it's really great though that hopefully we're building uh that kind of highway that technical highway where we t- uh, we can have access to information as we want it um, again, it's probably scary for a lot of people because um, it means that maybe we can't hide either. <laughs> so some of us may want to disconnect and, you know, that's still an option. But anyways, um, I like the idea of creating um, that digital footprint uh, on the currency that I like, uh, having that that exchange happen, that barter exchange for, uh, you know, a, a token for a token, much like the Made Beaver. Um, have those conversations and uh, continue to evolve. I want to be a contemporary Indigenous person that is changing the genetic makeup and and surviving and and changing that trauma for my children and their children and and my community. So it's really important to be contemporary and not be a stereotype for me. So uh, creating <laughs> sci-fi artwork. And I want to say this, because since my mom is in the audience and my brother and Sage, uh, there, one of the pieces I created was with uh, some video uh, that my mom had given me of uh, the family in 1958 or something, and I TP-fied it. <laughs> and there's an alien invasion happening in the middle of it, and I can't wait to share it with my family. So, uh, yeah, it'll be really fun. It's just an example of what we can do with blockchain technology. We can do and create what we want. We have access to technology. We have access to information, um, and then we can create those to sell and 
and, and create self-sovereignty. And that's the goal for me and, and, and trying to build outside of, uh, the art world in the environmental, uh, sustainable aspect. It's like, what can we do with this technology? And it's my goal to offer solutions to indigenous communities in the North, not only that, to break the stereotypes of indigenous women, um, in tech, um, I know that our, our Northern communities, uh, offer some programming for women in tech, uh, and I want to seize that opportunity and elevate those voices to change the stereotype and narratives for indigenous women. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. So what I'm hearing from both of you is really uplifting and empowering creators, artists, musicians. Um, and so of course that can have a awesome ripple effects kind of throughout the communities and throughout society Um, on the point of reconciliation and and kind of healing. Do you think that, you know, as these tools become more accessible or even it's just like us raising awareness of it, having these conversations, maybe hosting some workshops in the future um, around, you know, trying to reach out to communities and really empower people with these tools of Web3, maybe starting with UTP on the healing side. Do you think that this is going to play a a big role in healing? Like, do you think that having, you know, amazing indigenous futurism art that's really pushing a conversation around, you know, like you said, being a contemporary indigenous person with your own perspectives and thoughts that don't fit, you know, any stereotypes or not, you know, trying to be pigeonholed into one thing or another? Um, Is it creating that healing? Do you think that this has a a potential? These NFTs have a potential to do that? And then we'll have the the same question to Zale. But is that is that something we're working on? Do you think that's going to going to help TP? Uh, definitely, definitely it will. Um, I'm just thinking about, um, uh, oh, hang on a second. I've got to regroup. I had it on the tip of my, <laughs> I had it sorted out and then I got distracted. Can we go to Dan? Or yeah, Dan no first? problem. Dan, but, how yeah, do you my, think? I was like, oh, it's so good. I wanted to acknowledge an elder, but I lost it. <laughs> okay. And, and Dan, yours is specifically peyote, which is a medicine in and of itself, right? And then you're kind of mixing in the music and then you also have art, um, kind of that has peyote kind of, uh, intertwined in there. What are your thoughts on the healing aspects of these NFTs? Um, so I guess like when it comes to healing, um, a lot of people, they want to, they like, they want to have the understanding of their identity. Um, and I think that's a part of healing too. So when it comes to healing, I think like it has more to do with how someone will feel about themselves, how how they're going to self-actualize, um, with themselves and, and, um, like I said, you, you're giving power to people to to like publish their creativity, and that itself is 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 powerful because that someone could put that on there and it's there forever, knowing that the it's going to be there forever. That that's powerful for somebody that you know that's that's their name. You know, all of us we have an indigenous name. We don't like 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 TP was saying. There's some things that that are very sacred. And, um, you know, our indigenous spiritual names is, is one of those things, too, that are very sacred. And, and you know, when someone identifies with their spiritual name, they want to put the best of what they know of, of themselves in that. And I think NFTs kind of would help that. Like, like this artwork here, there's a spiritual eye to artwork. Like, they have a specific meaning. And if you're an artist, you kind of know, like you kind of see kind of images everywhere and textures and stuff like that. And, and you kind of, it's like a third eye sort of. So, 
you know, being able to put that out there, you know, someone, someone thousand years from now could look back at that and be like, Hey, this artist painted this thing here. And, you know, there's this, this one aspect to this artwork that, that helps me, you know, it helps me understand myself. Maybe this person's from the same clan as me. Maybe this person has the same kind of experience I had in life. That's kind of like the, the healing aspect I talk about when, when it comes to like identity is relatability. Um, because our identity comes from influence, like we get influenced by each other, by our mom, our dad, or our sisters, or brothers, you know, our aunties, uncles. We get influenced by those 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 parental figures and and family figures, and that becomes a part of our identity. And 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 that's where that's where we learn how to talk, how to communicate with the world. And that's that's kind of like the healing aspect. And I guess like when it comes to systems too, like like financial systems and and. I guess like trust is a big thing and blockchain is made as a, as a hundred percent kind of trust based system. Like no matter what it, that trust is there, you just have to hold on to your private keys and make sure no one knows your private keys and you're good. Make sure no one hacks you, you know, and you could do that with getting a little notebook and using that for everything blockchain and just leaving that separate from everything. But, you know, that's just a little cybersecurity tip, you know, when it comes to the, to uh, protecting your identity, because it's easy for someone to impersonate you um, in a centralized world. You know, you see a lot of people faking profiles nowadays, you know, so I, I, I even heard someone advertising someone else's store and then, you know, giving them a link to a different thing and affecting the viruses, you know, at least with like a decentralized model, somebody, you'd know that that person's authentic and that 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 profile or that identity is the real thing and that whatever you purchase on the identity is going to be that same art, you know. And there's one other project I'm working on, and it has to do with, you know, helping helping people up north, again, have access to decentralization and, you know, using the NFT as kind of like a receipt system. You know, like this artwork existed at this time. It was a statue of a bear, you know, the bear clan, the bear teaching, you know, is, is on that, on that artwork and, you know, giving them that power and kind of like in one little system and, and kind of like, a, you know, can my auntie Flora use this thing? Can she upload her, her drawing kind of making it that simple for them. That's kind of like the next project that has to kind of come about when it comes to understanding more of decentralization. And I think as generations kind of understand that the, they get they can gain that power of identity through decentralization, they'll have more opportunities to heal, more opportunities to introspect on themselves, their family, their identity, those kind of things. Hopefully that kind of answers the question. Oh, that was perfect. That was amazing. That's, that's awesome. Uh, thank you. And uh, you've got the aunts and uncles' names right on the tip of your tongue, man. It's impressive. <laughs> uh, TP, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on using <laughs> using NFTs for healing and, and the art. Oh, my God. Dad, are you Bear Clan? <laughs> I'm Bear Clan. We're Bear Clan. Musqua. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you could be my cousin. <laughs> yeah, we're related. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, isn't that funny? You meet family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I remember what I had to say. It had to do with what Dan was saying, but also when I was thinking about the healing journey and understanding a little bit about what we're doing here in in creating allies, but also some kind of some of the some of the some of the issues that I've encountered. So, um, 
Dan said something which reminded me something of an elder uh, who's actually one of my mom down there, her her best friend. I'm not going to say names because this is recorded and it's not my place to tell people's stories. But she did acknowledge that, you know, her family was very, very well educated. It was really important to go to post-secondary education. And and those were residential school survivors, her siblings uh, and her children. Uh, and so that was part of her. I went, there was a, there was an event last year, um, and it was residential school. Um, they had speakers uh, honoring residential school survivors. And I think there was seven or eight, eight speakers uh, for that event. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And so, again, it's like understanding when you take the time to educate yourself, uh, create empathy and understanding, understand the stories from the people, very specifically what was the loss to them. Um, even as uh, as somebody that's OG Cree, learning my own uh, history and uh, my own family uh, history, uh, understanding what reconciliation means is understanding what was what was done. Um, and there was one speaker there that was just one of the most powerful speakers. I really want to go back and listen to her again or do a bit more research on her as somebody who's really into uh, understanding that journey. And she spoke about the different eight different kinds of residential schools that there were. Um, and I learned a lot about that, like just what was the goal, the evolution, the impact, um, and all the, the, what you know, when you take a bit of time to understand the mechanisms that were used, you understand what needs to get undone. Uh, and I, I think that's a lot. So when, as a creative uh, in this space, being able to tell stories in a creative way uh, you know, the UFOs that are coming. Do you think the UFOs are really UFOs? <laughs> or, you know, I often say, you know, maybe you might align with those UFOs or hopefully you're not one of those aliens <laughs> that are blowing up the teepees. Uh, and the other times I've turned it around completely the other way where I created a series called Warpath. And, you know, they're, they're aliens and it looks like maybe the space and the teepees are, are, are attacking themselves. So it's like really switching things around in a creative way to yeah there's there's there i think humor is one of the best ways that we can we can push through some some of the stories that we need to tell you know uh it's a lot uh you know as somebody who's really compassionate about animal rights and things it's like do you get more allies by shaming people um do you get more uh allies by you know signaling virtue signaling to people um, I don't think so. So I think there's just ways that we have to learn. Again, that's why I was saying it was our personal healing that we have to do. Uh, when when we tell the stories, how do we do that in a way that makes people, one, relate to us? Uh, and we're all, you know, we have these core basic human instincts, all of us. Um, and I think they're very tied. So I often just talk about who we are is based on who are, how we trace ourselves back to our original peoples and the original land. Uh, the stories, uh, our origin stories from what you see in the sky are very different from somebody who's in Africa or, you know, than what we have, say, in the north of Canada here. Uh, it would be very different experiences and origin stories. Our genetic makeup, our DNA, our, you know, organic makeup is very different. And the the imprint of our history is very different. So how we tell those stories is going to be really, really significant. Um, and at the same time, I don't want to wash 
uh, wash away or uh, dilute anybody's stories because I think the impact is very personal. So I think it's really important that we, we have that opportunity to relate. And I think artwork is one way to do it, uh, either visual, um, either whatever it is. You know, I talked about that a lot in the film industry. For instance, you know, you have production, uh, pre-production, post-production, production, and there's a lot of moving parts of creatives from the people that are figuring out the finances, the people that are cooking the food, to the people that are painting the sets, to the uh, film uh, filmographers, the the <laughs> the DOPs, the locations people, which is my area, you know. <laughs> so it's like all of these moving parts uh, are are creative network, and I think uh, every role is just as important. So. Anyways, that's what I see. Web3 is part of that, is understanding each role as a significant uh, intersection. They're all kind of, you know, this part of this greater mechanism. So, yeah, that's what I hope with Web3 and, and what I do here. So Amazing, amazing. So really empowering storytelling and empowering the individual to really share their story from their perspective. Um, it's a good point. You know, it's like not relying on middle people, you know, to really are gatekeepers, as it were, um, especially in the music space, but even in the art space, you know, with galleries and things like that becoming less important. And most importantly, nobody can tell you what you can or can't, you know, put onto the blockchain and what your story is and what your artistic um, kind of area of focus is. So yeah, great empowerment and uh, really uplifting culture and uplifting the individual to tell that story uh, is amazing for sure. Awesome. I think we got a lot out of that. Um, on the point of economic sovereignty, um, I just don't want to breeze by it because I think it's a huge opportunity um, You know, on the blockchain side. And I think Zale kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, either of you are how do both of you feel about the idea that the current financial system, which, you know, for reserves communities specifically, um, but even more maybe broadly for indigenous people, um, could be replaced by blockchain? Uh, maybe we'll start with UTP and then we'll go go to Uzale. Um, Do you think on the financial side, looking at, you know, financial uh, economic empowerment and sovereignty, do you see a solution with the blockchain that is feasible? Well, there's a lot of examples of, of that kind of need for, you know, of the wampum belt is a good example, um, where sometimes there's just, there's uh, two highways that are running beside each other and they're intersecting. Uh, understanding how we utilize that is really important. Um, if we if we understand uh, economics a little bit and where a dollar goes and what, what what's happening with it, you know, uh, if we understood that for ourselves right now, before we even discuss blockchain technology, I think we'd leave a lot of people out, myself included, because I, there's no transparency uh, for where that money goes, um, where it's coming from, um, how it's being utilized, or, or the economy is is crap. <laughs> you know, who's handling all of that? Uh, the one thing that's really interesting about Say I sold a piece, say that 256 Tezos, I didn't, it wasn't for me, it was for an, uh, an organization that supports women, so it wasn't like my money. Um, but understanding that if I want to take that out, uh, or, you know, I could, uh, I would turn it into fiat, but there's a loss. And so it really does, for the first time, I think in my life as a, you know, now Gen X person, uh, I have a bit more understanding and it's hard because there's a lot of neurodivergence that comes with tra trauma and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to function. Um, and so uh, I think it's been said by a number of women in this space, not to get into too much gender identity and gender roles, but a lot of women 
that have uh, have been able to understand a bit more about the economy and their own economy and how to fluctuate between whether or not, for instance, say I wanted to sell my Tezos, you know, that I had, that's just a token, whatever, don't worry about it. It's like when you're converting your USD, right? So you're going to the United States and you want to convert. It's like, do we want to do it now? Is now a good time? Well, tomorrow it might be worth a bit more uh, and you're going to start looking at whether or not that's uh, that's a good time. Um, so really what blockchain technology has done as far as self-sovereignty is educate myself on how to handle my own, uh, my own wallets, quite literally, both physically and, phys- and, <laughs> and, and, and tech, uh, technical, uh, my technological wallets, uh, which of which I have many because I have, it's imagine you had like, and we all have this, you travel, say you went to Europe, you have a wallet for your euros, you have a wallet for this, you have a wallet for that, you have a wallet, you have them in, in cryptocurrency, you have them in fiat, which is IRL uh, monies, right? So self-sovereignty allows that. Um, and then at the same time, there are, uh, say, NGOs. So the, the place that I graduated from was the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources. Um, and CIR uh, is you know, working in sustainability, uh, that was their goal. And that's what they do. They talk about traditional environmental knowledge. And I don't want to speak for them because I can't. I just, uh, I'm just using that as an example of an NGO that uh, accepts Bitcoin. Now, if I were going to speak to somebody there or anywhere, and I do often, uh, I would say, are there better choices for how you want to have self-sovereignty and, and, and be part of a, a diverse culture, economy, and uh, currency? Uh, maybe we can have a chat about some other options, <laughs> for instance, that are, you know, there are those other options and explain what they are. So I don't want to name them now again, because I don't want to speak above people that uh, uh, and get too technical. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important. Um, and then imagine that we would bring those economies to subsistence economies in the North is really massively important to me. And doing so with uh, the ecological footprint at the, at the, at the, at the four uh the forefront right so that's really important and so like my goal is to to really look at research papers and I'm, this is my goal I'm actually applying for some different grants right now research grants to be able to figure out how to do that and even when I first came into web 3 in January uh, February 2021 I was looking at and I was in rooms where they were talking about uh, how to, uh, without getting too complicated here, how to uh, how to mine on Ethereum with sustainability uh, with through solar, and I was like, that is really cool. <laughs> that is really cool. And somebody was actually talking about how to build it and like the technical requirements. Since then, Ethereum has changed. So I don't, again, I don't want to lose people, but like the evolution of the need for change by being an insider activist, you can change those mechanisms and it's some you know you can build it so i think that's really important for a lot of us and we think about our future our teachings of the seventh generation planning to utilize resources for up to seven generations you know my daughter's in the audience seven generations down from her uh you got to think about that and most people don't um which is how we got into this situation with with <laughs> you know concerns about uh our our carbon offsets and different things that we, we need to offset our are the the, the uh, uses of resources here. So I think it's an important thing uh, for us to really pay attention to that. And if we can provide and see options, then why not explore them, especially if it's just a simple conversation uh, and, you know, to onboard people and educate. So 
I think I'm rambling now. Must be. <laughs> no, you're good. And there were a lot of actually really important points there. Um, you kind of started off with the, the point around transparency and the lack of transparency around the systems. And I can say as someone who's in the payment space, um, you know, there's a lot of money being made on payments that go out, right? Obviously, you know, anyone touching it, right? And so I guess the ob the option would be to have um, less reliance on kind of the traditional systems where, you know, again, we have no transparency on exactly what those marginal costs are, but we know there are costs basically for every payment coming into communities that go to the banks, that go to whatever other kind of maybe lawyers, whatever traditional kind of entities, right? Um, and they could all kind of be cut off really and put it all on chain, send money directly to people's digital wallets, get the funds directly. You know, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities there to create more transparency, more accountability around where the funds are actually going, but more importantly, also to get more value out of the funds um, directly to the communities that need it more. Um, but you also spoke on the off-ramping of your currency, right? So Tezos, blockchain, you know, you, in my case, at least when I want to, if I want to sell Tezos, which I don't think I ever have actually gone from Tezos back to fiat, but if I did, you know, I would basically have to turn the Tezos into Ethereum or or Bitcoin and then use another one of my reliable kind of off-ramp from there um, to sell that for fiat dollars. But that's a little convoluted. And I think the best solution would be, right, if you could go down the street to your local market and actually pay for your stuff with Tezos right on your phone and the person selling their fruits or vegetables or whatever sees the value in Tezos the same way you do, now you've just cut out that whole per that whole need, you know, to actually go to a bank or to go to fiat uh, into the local currency if everyone's kind of on the same page. So that's just a little micro example. But obviously, you could actually, as a community, agree, like, we're going to allow... Um, whether it's Bitcoin, you know, whatever, maybe it's Tezos um, to be a legal, you know, tender, a legal mode of exchange within our micro community. And everyone should be able to accept Tezos and pay with it, you know, and you don't have to, but it would be an option and you have to be able to accept that option is kind of cool. Right. And that's what El Salvador did with their Bitcoin, where they basically said that markets and private businesses have to be able to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. And it kind of changes the game a little bit. Now, there's a lot of debate around whether that's the best way to go. But I think it's a interesting discussion around that piece, right? Because when you're selling your art on the blockchain, ideally, you could actually just take the money or the cryptocurrency that you get for selling that art and go buy something down the street with it. You know, I hope that's the future we're getting to. But I know I'm probably 10 or 20 years ahead of where we're at right now, maybe. <laughs> um, just a thought. Any thoughts on that, TP? Or? Well, I just wanted to say it, you make a really good point. And it shouldn't be a mutually exclusive handshake, right? So you can go and buy uh, with your with your MasterCard or your Visa right now, but you couldn't go the other way. So it's like it's really interesting that you know <laughs> that that doorway has to be fully opened. I think so. Yeah, it's it's a learning it's learning, and there's a lot of regulation. I think people kind of skip. They want to talk about the dollars without addressing the fact that there's regulation that has to happen, international regulations, and talk about sanctioned countries, for instance, that aren't. Uh, you know, Web3 isn't supportive of a lot of sanctioned countries. And so, uh, you know, is it possible those sanctioned countries can uh, have uh, self-reliance themselves and create that that networking? Um, and I think Canada, uh, you know, I think we have a more, I, I really believe this and I believe this from day one, that we have a lot more opportunities than, say, United States. So I think it's really interesting to see how our regulations allow us to ab be advocates uh, for international um, financial uh, regulations and maybe be a workaround to support 
uh, international communities um, that, you know, are, are facing a lot of major restrictions uh, for themselves to access to not only uh, monies, but also access to information. Amazing. Yeah. Great points for sure. And I think uh, on the local level, like you said, I think Canada has a little bit more clarity around regulations. And so I think it's doable um, as far as paying with crypto, you know, at your local market in that. But definitely globally, it's a whole other ball game for sure. Um, and when you talk about sanctions and things like that, and even locally, some regulations, some legal framework around it would, of course, be helpful. Um, Dan, thoughts on uh, economic sovereignty and empowerment through cryptocurrency or blockchain? For indigenous communities specifically well i always i'm always going to talk about the decentralized aspect of of, of um, blockchain because um if you look at the origin story of of bitcoin you know the, the under the underbelly is blockchain um you have to look at like like the the name itself like they call it the white paper you know and, and then the same the same exact concept or term was used against indigenous people by john a mcdonald he released his white paper so it's kind of like i don't know how to put it in a, in a kind of like symbolic sense but it's like, a really interesting connection i had never heard that before this 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 the white paper is the commonwealth term and whoever invented this blockchain technology he must have had some idea of colonialism he must have had some idea of of how to undo that he must have had some idea of centralization he must have been seeing this unfold before his eyes in order to come up with you know the decentralized ledger and the decentralized ledger is the key because there's there's an absolute amount of transparency on there that that even someone tried to steal money they can't do it unless they have like some super quantum futuristic computer that somehow time traveled back or something like that but that's just kind of like the sci-fi kind of seriousness of how robust you know cryptography is and that's the language behind bitcoin behind blockchain and i think more people need to understand that economic part is that whatever you put on there is like it's like a seal it's like a, a solid rock it's like you're putting a planet out there you know that's kind of like the economic idea that people need to understand about it and the transparency aspect that no one could steal money because there's always going to be a record of what you do, where that money's going, who got it, and what it was purchased for. Hey, like this transaction number on the blockchain, what was this for again? And so we could have it on our records too, but what this is used for. So you can go back and, you know, easily sort out through, you know, your, your records and, and there's accountability there. So, you know, that legitimacy exists in certain organizations and that's the economic sovereignty that people will be able to access with it in the future. And you're saying that in maybe 20 years, you know, 15 years, we're going to have like one card that has all these cryptocurrencies on it. It's going to even have fiat on there. Even fiat itself will be a form of cryptocurrency because they're going to be like, well, you know, printing money is probably you know more cost more energy than to run a blockchain because you know moore's law says that technology is going to keep increasing so eventually the sustainability is going to balance itself out and even the creator of bitcoin i believe if you go back on his on the forum where he used to talk about it when he was still active he even said that the heat from the system is going to heat your house you know that was a very economic kind of perspective he put there like the energy you put out there it's still you could still use that energy for something like a fire 
you know and i think that's kind of like the understanding that people need to have about it and and when more people kind of adopt this from the influence of others then you know it's going to really empower communities and it's going to help the, the democracy the election process um we're going to know you know which chief spent this on what you know there was a case back in 2005 where we you know had a government grant and we entrusted someone and you know they you know the money disappeared and and if if blockchain existed back then we would have known where it went there would have been more accountability and maybe we would have had a return on that project but that was before blockchain even existed so that's the kind of like the economic standpoint i've have with it and the abstraction concept that people will need to understand eventually like what like when i talk about blockchain to my fellow indigenous elders they kind of don't understand it until like i kind of explain the concept of centralization and government and how um you know how it kind of works i kind of use like the navajo code talker example cuz navajo code talkers um they use their language to protect messages in battle and that that basically um gave the american side the edge in world war 2 is the navajo language of the pacific theater and that's that's kind of like that cryptography that language they had it was a it was a code that no one understood and that's cryptography today so when i explain to a indigenous person that you know that record you put out there is is no one can crack that it's like you're saying your language i have this m- amount of money i'm giving this amount of money to my my cousin here or my auntie and then then it's kind of recorded somewhere where everyone could see it that that that's powerful and i don't think people understand how powerful that is you know back in the ibm days getting the same number on all the same computers all at once was the number one challenge in technology and that's solved thanks to you know bitcoin you know the the white paper explains how to solve the benzentine generals problem how to attack a city you know at one one consensus time that's the benzentine generals problem you know that's what the white paper solves and i think that 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 kind of plays into like the warrior aspect too of how technology works kind of strategically thinking about stuff like that i, I don't know if that kind of answers what are uh, the question yeah definitely as far as you know using the accountability and transparency of the blockchain to improve governance essentially right and yeah i mean that's definitely a, a huge opportunity and i i'm not sure what it's going to take and you mentioned democracy as well we know for sure that we can have 110% verified votes through blockchain technology but the flip side of that unfortunately is that just the fact that it uses technology there's going to be some people out there that claim it was you know hacked or whatever like they're never going to even though everything is fully transparent and you'll be able to actually track everything just the fact that you're making your vote on the computer we're still not quite there i don't think we have enough we have a loud enough voice of people that really want that paper ballot that really want to mark a paper and make sure that that paper's counted with you know all the different parties present viewing it being counted and all that so i i hope we can get there eventually because i agree definitely it is a a, a great opportunity so there's governance uh, advantages for sure for adopting blockchain um i know we have hit the 90 minute mark i want to appreciate everyone's time um thank you so much to everybody who's joined i have a i had a few others definitely wanted to touch on sustainability a bit more but maybe we'll have to save that for for another call uh, or another meeting but um i do want to say you know 
TP and, and Zale, you know, I want to hear what you have kind of around the corner. And then I also wanted to kind of have a call to action that we can take away from this Web3 Warriors episode, you know, going into the future, you know, how can everyone, indigenous people, allies, those who want to further the goals of reconciliation, what small part can we play? Um, and I know it's a big question, but I'd love to hear uh, both of your thoughts on it. So maybe uh, TP, we'll start with you. Just, you know, what's around the corner for TP? And if you could share just, you know, a call to action that you'd like to see more of to help uh, advance reconciliation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, I wanted to make a point about the white paper um, and sure. that whole goal of Insider, insider activist is that a lot of people push back on that. So if you uh, you want to talk about consensus as a community, if you refuse to use linguistics or language that is uh, is challenging, then just change it. Push, create uh, an action to to change it. So a lot of people stop using the term white paper. Uh, and when uh, I see it, <laughs> I go, oh. Clearly, you haven't been tuned in yet. <laughs> so uh, that's, and I think that's uh, by the point uh, to to Dan's point is exactly if there's being an insider activist, if there's things that you don't like, then you say no, we don't want it, we don't want that. Uh, and there was a lot of pushback from the BIPOC community about that, saying that 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 we don't like that term, uh, and so we want to push back on that. Um, and I think. It's just a simple. It's just a simple thing that you can do. Is just decide that you there, there are things that you want to speak about and uh, create advocacy for that change. So certainly within the building aspect of Web three and blockchain technology, how we're using that, we are pushing back. We are saying this needs to be happening. When we were pushing back against Ethereum because of the high uh, usage of um, energy, uh, you know that was changed. Uh, and it didn't take much. It was only three years. So there's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of that. I also wanted to say it's really interesting to think about again all the different currencies that we have. Those are different wallets that we have, and I consider them to be exactly like passports to different communities and different uh, different access to information, different technologies that they're using, different builders in those spaces, different uh, businesses in those space, different brands in those space, different media in those spaces. So, you know, we talk about gaming. Certainly gaming is really interesting and I've been a longtime advocate of gaming and gamer <laughs> dweeb myself. So, I, you know, there's a lot of different passports and access to information I think that are really cool. Uh, and I love that we can have conversations and push back against things and change the narrative because we can. We are autonomous. We have voices. And all we have to do is say them and make it so. <laughs> so we do. Uh, and so that, like, I'm an optimist. I think if you don't, if you don't say it, people won't know it, right? So we do. Um, and as far as me, I think I, I, I want to take that that challenge myself and and see what I can do with it. You know. Uh, I came in here and I learned a lot. Uh, and by learning a lot, uh, I can teach a lot. And I think that's my goal. It's like, what, what, how can we do this? Have a long game plan, pay, pay, plan for the future, right? And for us, again, I'm going to go back to the seventh generation teachings. If you plan ahead, uh, those resources will still be there. Um, and so that means, you know, taking taking back control, taking back the reins in some way, even if it's just one person, you know, creating that allyship is really important. So, um, you know, not only being an artist, telling very important stories about culture, 
uh, and my very specific experience of that and having to reclaim it from people that tried to take it from me, uh, that is not about shaming them. It's about empowering myself. Uh, and I think it's really a different narrative and, it, and it's important for me to, to, to state it like that. So anyways, um, I think what I would like to do as far as a call to action is just really take the time to understand who you are, um, who, where you come from. And I think when we do that and we give the kind regard to people to understand their own, their own histories, maybe that empathy will, will be reciprocated. Right. So, um, and what, when you, you, you take that time and it's interesting because the minute I started giving people time to talk about, for instance, I said, Wike in this space at the beginning, Wike is a, a herb that's a traditional herb for cough. Uh, you know, uh, in different communities around the world, I had a space talking very specifically just about that. Like, let's just talk about your traditional medicines. And you have people coming and sharing information from their locations, their geolocations and their histories. You learn a lot. And people are excited to talk to you when you give them the time and you give them the opportunity to share. Like we did music. I did one about music. Like what are some, I did one about dances and and it's just amazing that you can have these conversations where people, uh, you know, have a real regard for their history and they just want to share their stories. We all do. Um, and if you don't want to share your history, then I would ask you why. Um, and that's, that's to me would be a representation of a, a journal, a, a journey, a, a healing journey that maybe needs to be had. Uh, I was, one last thought was, you know, we, we have all, all these different ceremonies because we move from one place of reality to another. And, and I think that's the reason we have like, you know, our sweat lodge or we have the, we have the Sundance ceremony, which is, you know, uh, that transcendence from one place to another in our healing journey. And I think they're important things to recognize culturally. They look very different, um, depending on your locations. And so I think it's just an important part of, uh, understanding who and what is happening with, within Canada, the tour, the TRC, uh, but it's a reflection of yourself, I think. And I don't, I don't want to get too metaphysical, but <laughs> I really think it is. So there we go. <laughs> and yes, that has to do with blockchain technology too, oddly. <laughs> That's powerful. Amazing. Uh, thank you. So I loved at the beginning where you were talking about the digital wallets as passports to different communities and worlds. Like, that's a really great way of thinking about it. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, your global view and your global approach to the space has probably influenced that. But that's a really great analogy, you know, digital wallets and each one is a passport to a different blockchain, which has its own community, its own culture and history. So really cool. And then for the call to action, tell your story, promote your culture and your cultural history, reclaim your story if that's required and lift up stories, I think is what all of us can try to do, you know, lift up indigenous perspectives and our own perspectives and learn from our own history for sure. Thank you, uh, TP. It's really powerful, awesome lessons. Dan, same question to you. Thoughts on, you know, how do we make an impact? What's your call to action? And what do you have kind of around the corner for yourself? I think I think the next step for, I think, Indigenous communities, when it comes to like healing, um, it's very important because it's, it's the language preservation. And the language, there's lots of things in the language that you can't explain in English and that has to be what has that kind of 
somehow that has to correlate with blockchain somehow. Like there has to be a way we could teach language through blockchain to the young people and to teach them the high level create stuff. So they're not just saying swear words and body parts, you know, like that's really important. It's, it's really sad to go to the community and you want to learn their language and they're talking about this, all these weird things, right? Like, like I want to learn about what do you call sweat lodge? What do you call water? What do you call corn, meat, berries? What do you call those things in your language? It's important. You know those things too, because one of these days, you know, it's just going to be our language again. And we need to understand those things. One of, and there's even beliefs about that too, about, you know, going into the afterlife and all that kind of stuff and, you know, being able to understand your ancestors and that's important. It's, it's your identity. So when it comes to healing, that that's really important is the language. Um, when it comes to what I have around the corner, like I said, I talked about Purity records earlier and basically it's like a blockchain jukebox, you know, I guess kind of thing, but there's also another kind of aspect to it that I kind of have to explain just a little bit here. Um, it, during, 2000 during the pandemic um i took some university courses on the arctic and i took the university courses on the inuit and i learned a lot about the inuit people and basically the first european contact they had was basically like not that long ago so they're very close to traditional way of life and how to live off the land and they didn't even have firewood up there they used oil to to keep themselves warm and they, they 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 might have invented the window too because they through the igloo the they had an ice sheet there so they could see through it so they might have invented the window before you know before before human beings even had lodges and stuff like that so i don't know it's just kind of like a correlation but as i was learning more about um the inuit people i learned about their sustainability and you know how they belong to canada as as indigenous people and and how the United Nations has a act out there for that that all 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 these countries have to assist indigenous people with sovereignty. So one thing that kind of jarred me out was back in I think 2017 or 2016 or 2019, somewhere around there, the Canadian government came out with this health food guide. And it basically was the Mediterranean diet. And it's just like, well, how does that apply to in you know people up north and up and you know up in none of it? who don't have access to Mediterranean food. So basically the, the, the health food guide for them isn't really, you know, isn't really that relevant. So when it comes to like blockchain, um, there was a really good idea I had, and that was to decentralize uh, greenhouses because during the summertime in the Arctic, the sun is up like basically 24 seven, you know, for four months straight. And during that time, you can probably grow a lot of produce, you know? So, you know, if you have a bunch of greenhouses under one system and, you know, one company or one community can just basically sustain themselves with vegetables all year round and, you know, different herbs, medicines can even be used to help, you know, the extinction issues with some species of plants and stuff like that. So I really thought about that, the decentralization of, of greenhouses into one system, like kind of like one app and, you know, the 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 token utility, you know, the, you know, each token would be like a receipt of what you purchase. Like if you purchase food from this one greenhouse, the token you get would be the receipt sort of like, and then you would know what that plant, when it was planted and the process that it went through, if it was, what it was treated with those kind of things, you know, it's important to know those kind of things. If you're trying to feed populations, because you don't want to, you know, if you're a company trying to feed um, a population, you don't want to give people rotten food, 
because you go out of business, right? So it's basically an authentic, authentic, authentic issue, I guess. And when it comes to that, that's kind of an idea I want to approach. Is you know, um, somehow getting a greenhouse system up there and and you know, communicating with the Inuit people about those kind of things. Otherwise, you know, that same system could be also used in different areas somewhere. That's kind of like the idea I had in regards to sustainability, um, in regards to blockchain. And then there was another idea I had with the NFT platform. Um, and I believe, uh, David, uh, you know very well about that project as well. So that's still in the works. I'm still trying to, you know, get the structure up. You know, I also have another friend. Um, he's also interested in helping us too. So it's kind of, you know, kind of an idea too is is how to um, how to help our Indigenous creators have ownership over their artwork and that's basically the whole concept of of um what's next so um for the call to action um a part of innovation is competition and the call to action i have for other indigenous entrepreneurs and other people in the space is is to innovate make something out of this technology and pass it on to other indigenous people so they understand more about it so they understand the power behind it eventually that's kind of the call to action I have is that we need more competition to encourage and motivate each other because that's kind of like a different, um, like kind of a different avenue of thinking. But when it comes to the call to action, we do need more competition. We do need more competitors because to be honest, it's just a few of us right now. And, you know, as some people say, it is kind of lonely when you're alone at the top and there's really no one there to kind of help or to kind of compete against you. You kind of have to go out and, find competitors like i did that earlier i was trying to find a competitor to kind of encourage them to innovate otherwise your medicine's going to extinct you know get going because you know things are going to happen in the future population's increasing and that's kind of the attitude i have the call the action is compete and innovate so that we could move forward and come up with these new things amazing that's all amazing. i have I love it. Um, educate and innovate. That's what's up. And I loved what you're saying about language preservation. That's definitely a huge opportunity with blockchain. Like you said, it's immutable. It's going to be there forever. So especially, you know, any languages that are at risk of being lost, now is the time to, you know, talk to the elders, see if they're comfortable, maybe doing some lessons that you can put on the blockchain, maybe just recording speech and saying what they mean. Yeah, anything really is probably going to help with preservation. Um, I was also looking at your Peyote Records uh, collection on NFT. NFT on OpenSea, sorry. And you have a greenhouse in there, which is pretty cool. So blockchain peyote garden. So I can see you're, you're thinking about the sustainability um, and really incorporating the blockchain. So kudos on that. It's really exciting. Um, awesome. You know, I think we've had a lot of really great gems dropped here today. I want to appreciate both of you, TP and Zale, for joining. Uh, really important conversation and really important topics all around to push reconciliation forward and really answer that question. What is reconciliation? What are we working towards? I mean, it sounds like, you know, we are all going to do our own part, play our own part, educate, support each other, collaborate, be empathetic, listen to each other, and actually, you know, try to uplift each other um, is what I'm getting from this. And the technology can definitely help make this more possible. It can help empower individuals um, and empower economic sovereignty. So it's a really exciting future that we can look forward to. Uh, I just want to open it up for any final thoughts, uh, TP or Zale, as we wind down here. Thank you again for joining, TP. 
I want to I want to say thank you to you and for everybody that came to hang out with us. <laughs> I appreciate it uh, and thanks uh, for yeah giving room for uh, true emotion. You know, I think that's an important aspect of our humanity is like just letting people kind of push through the things that they need to. So, uh, thank you and uh, thank you to Dan for sharing his perspectives on. Um, yeah, I can't wait to find out more about the things that you do. Um, I could be your competition. I could take you. Let's go. I was just <laughs> going to say, that's was, the attitude. you're talking about being lonely, but you know, there's more of us. We're all here in Manitoba. Shout out to Grayson, Grayson down there and all of TP's family, you know, um, I'm sure she's working on getting them on the web three wave, but there are more of us, you know, and I think um, as we collaborate and, and have like minds with a kind of clear goal towards what we're hoping this technology will do, just like you said, TP, make it so, right? Like, let's just speak it into existence and uh, continue pushing the space forward i really appreciate you both zale did you want to add anything else before we wrap here i'm just thankful that you invited me to come talk because i've, I've been waiting a while to actually talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency i've never actually talked about it in person i've always kind of shy about it. it's always been kind of like an abstract thing in my mind um but i'm really thankful i feel a bit uh uplifted having to, you know listening listening to both of you speak your ideas of reconciliation and, and uh, you know, finding like-minded people is really difficult sometimes. So I'm really thankful for that. And I always believe that if you're sincere, things are always going to fall into place for you. So I see that in both of you. And I'm really thankful that you had me. Let's go. Appreciate you. And I can tell you got that real, you know, diehard decentralization focus, you know, and we need that. That's there's always going to be, you know, a, an understanding that it can't all be decentralized all the time. But you're not wrong about, you know, the centralization being a very uh, kind of oppressive piece and how decentralization can now break that down. So you got your, your eyes on the prize for sure. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Really amazing, uh, impactful conversation. I hope that all of our listeners will gain a lot from it internationally, globally. It's not just a Canadian topic. Um, we know that there are indigenous communities throughout the world that need to be uplifted and uh, proud of their history, proud of their culture, and really uh, push things forward. And Web3 can help make that easier to do and can help empower people on that mission. So thank you, everybody, for joining. Again, to the listeners, appreciate you all. Until next time, we will catch you in the metaverse. Peace out. Thank you. Pew, pew.